That was the, I think the first time Dave has led in about 10 months live in this place. And it is good to have you back, brother. It's good to have you back. Some people making their slow return. And uh, so good to have you back if you're returning today, if you're online. I hope you felt that. Eric's over here. And uh, last night, uh, I heard that he um, practiced a ton when he was younger. And you don't really hear um, how talented he is, but he, you were saying even this morning you practiced how long when you were in junior and senior high? Probably three to four hours a day plus that. So classically trained kind of since I was real young, about four or five years old. Yeah. So you don't actually get good at anything unless you practice. And uh, I would never have done that with a piano. My mom made me take piano lessons up on the hill with Mrs. Hawley, and I would just never practice. And then I'd go up, and uh, she'd be like, did you practice this week? And I said, no. no. And she said, you're never going to get good. And I was like, good, because I'm done. Um, but yeah, um, maybe play something like more classical, since you're classically trained. And yeah, what are you going to play for us this morning? Um, the Waldstein piano sonata, uh, Beethoven sonata in C major. So just a short clip of it. That it's matters like, for like two of you here long, um, <laughs> that understood what he just said. So yeah, tickle the ivories, buddy. this brother here this morning. What in the world? It's fun. It is fun, especially when you're looking at me and you're not looking at your fingers. Wow. Do you know anything more modern uh, yeah. that you could play with is us? Billy Joel? Billy Joel. Yes, Billy Joel. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody know this one? Is that piano man? Oh. Well, you didn't do that last night. Can we give it up for him? Oh, man. Oh. You're awesome, buddy. We're glad the James family is here, you and your wife. And uh, it's so great to have people with good, humble hearts that are really, really great, but they're very humble. And uh, there's a lot of people in here. We have no idea 
um, what's under the surface here today, but we love to let your glory shine. We're not talking about glory as in like, I want all the glory and pride. It's like God placed in all of us a glory. And when we let it shine, it does no good for us to play small uh, in life. The world needs to see what he's blessed us with. But that doesn't just come uh, automatically or accidentally. Nobody is proficient at anything uh, that way. It takes self-control, wrought with maniacal like practice and compulsory habits. A, a life of wanting something and stopping at nothing to get it through effort and discipline. Ryan talked about this a little bit last week, but discipline actually comes from the same root word where we mine out the word disciple. Discipline and disciple, they kind of go together. Discipline literally means training or correction, whereas disciple means learner or follower. And we're interested in becoming disciples of Christ here, not just attenders of church. Church attendance is great. Christ followers is what we're going after. That's the, 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 the prize. That's the pearl of great price. I uh, love reading dead authors, particularly dead theologians, and one I love is G.K. Chesterton, who says this, the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And you can say, well, it's not working for me. Are you working it? You gotta work it for it to work for you. What you put into it is what you'll get out of it, my, my mom used to say. And she also used to say, garbage in, garbage out. You cannot continue to do garbage and expect something less than garbage in your life. You have to pursue something and practice it and exercise it so that when you get out to perform in life, like it's second nature to you. See, our first nature is depraved. We, we bend towards sadness and sickness and brokenness and disease and and. and negativity and pessimism. We got to train our hearts to see and seek and speak of the good in life. Many of you know that my father is nearing the end of his life as he battles pancreatic cancer. And I've spent a great deal of time recently just pondering what he means to me, what he's meant to me. And when I say what he means to me, what I'm really saying is what has he passed down to me that is meaningful? This is actually a biblical idea. In 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul was talking to young Timothy and he said, I'm reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, sounds like grandma names, right? And I'm persuaded or convinced now lives in you also. See, I can't go into my genealogy and, and say my grandpa and my, my dad and now me because my dad was the first one that came to know Christ and my mom came to know Christ at the end of college and it changed our whole family tree. The trajectory of our family was different. Our heritage is different. His legacy is different. It never was passed down to him, but it was passed down to me. And I would love to say, I remember how it lived in your dad. Now, son, it's living in you. I want it to live in me. I don't want to just believe it with intellectual assent. I want it to live in me. I want the disciple thing and the discipline thing to be living inside of me. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, he said, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 2 Thessalonians 2, 15, so then brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teaching we've passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. I love the word of mouth. It means something's remarkable. And you know something's remarkable because after you leave, you keep remarking on it. Have you ever been to a great restaurant and you are become an evangelist for that restaurant? And it's like, how did you find out about us? Well, my friend told me and his friend told me and by word of mouth, it's spreading because the word of God was living in him. And that's why Paul said, let the word of God dwell richly in you. Like what, what's been passed down by my dad? I want what lived in him to live in me. My parents passed down so many foundational values that undergird the life that I live to this day. Like I said, Ryan spoke of the need for discipline in order to experience maturity that leads to transformation. And I've been thinking about practical devotional disciplines that I could pass on to you today to really help you become what I believe you want to be. And that is a passionate Christ follower who pleases God and blesses the world. But the onus of responsibility to carry out what is passed on to us is incumbent on every single one of us here today or listening online. Each of us has a chance to make a choice to accept the challenge to actually change. And the challenge is important to the change because unless you inflict yourself with disciplines and you break down your muscle, you'll never build up your muscle. You've got to do hard things in order to test yourself in order to come out the other side and be refined like gold where the dross goes to the top and the gold becomes pure. No more excuses, no more blaming, no more procrastination, no more distractions, no more, well, that's just the way I am. I can't change or it is what it is. Nope. It, it, it might be that it is what it is, but it doesn't mean it has to stay what it is in your life. You have to believe that. If you keep thinking how you've always thought, you'll keep being what you've always been. And if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting what you've always gotten. I think it was Albert Einstein who said, you know, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. When I think of that in, in terms of Christ and this, this word that we say we believe and this God that we sing to and say we believe, it's like, do we worship somebody we don't know because we don't read and our affections aren't stirred up for him and so our actions stay the same? Are you working at it? Are you putting in the time? Are you showing up to the gym of your faith? and pushing yourself to say, God, I wanna be better, but not just better, I wanna be like you. I wanna be Christ-like. So today I wanted to hone in on the spiritual life and these calculated disciplines that are necessary to produce a true disciple. And Jesus was very clear in the word that disciples are not born, they're made. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And, and that's in the Great Commission where it says, go into all the world and make disciples. They're made. They don't just happen. They're made. They're trained. They, they, they accept correction and admonishment. 
And then they work hard and practice things over and over again. Just like Eric, you know, that we witnessed today, subduing that wild piano and taming it into beautiful submission in our presence. The spiritual life is not accidental nor automatic. It is religiously intentional and deliberate. And I would go so far as to say sacred. As we set out each day to grow in our love for Jesus and the world around us, I wanted to share just some of the sacred rhythms that will center you and anchor you and your heart for God in this crazy world in which we live. And I hope that these things will become the compass for your roving soul. First, since we're going to be talking about sacred rhythms, I want to give you my working definition of the word sacrament because you're going to hear it uh, quite a bit in, in this message. The definition of sacrament being a Christian observance that sees our religious actions as symbols of a deeper spiritual reality. A belief that our ordinary everyday life is devoutly lived as sacred unto the Lord. That we know our life especially what we do in those quiet hours, those hours where no one's looking, that stuff is sacred unto the Lord. Everything is spiritual in this world that we do. Now, I was reminded of that this week. I walked out early in the morning. I had a meeting and I thought I was the first one up and I was not the first one up. My daughter had come down into the den and she didn't even know I took this picture because I was walking by like this and just snapped the picture. I, I didn't like stand there like this. I, I snapped this picture. She's out with her Bible and her journal at like six in the morning. She wakes up every morning. She goes to school online virtually so she doesn't have to wake up until like 11 if she doesn't want to. But she has religiously made this the discipline of her life so that she starts the day with the words of God, the feelings of God, the heartbeat of God, the eyesight of God in her life before she hits the day in front of her. I don't deserve a daughter like this. But this isn't accidental or automatic. She watched her mother who gets up every morning and goes out by the fireplace and she sits down and she opens her book and her Bible study, her sore Bible study that the women are doing right now. And then she opens, you know, her Bible and then she opens her journal and every day she spends time with God. She's witnessed this in her life. Paul said to the Corinthian church, follow me as I follow Christ. And, and this is something I've always thought about as a pastor. I can't be telling people to do things that I'm not doing. I can't lead you to places I'm not going myself. I can't just st keep stepping up here and saying, I want you to follow Christ. It's like, no, I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. And if you read even it, I think it's Acts 17 in the Areopagus in Mars Hill, when he was leading people, they became disciples of Paul before they became disciples of Christ. That isn't something we want to hear. They're actually watching you, looking at you to see if they can believe you before they believe God. Are we following Christ and saying, as I follow Christ, you follow me. And if I'm not following Christ, you don't follow me. Sacred disciplines of the devoted Christ follower. First one, as I wake up in the morning, wake with wonder. The sacrament of awakening. Psalm 57, 8, awake my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. Those are 
instruments. I will awaken the dawn. It's a poetic way of saying the dawn doesn't wake me up. I wake it up. I'm going to show up today. You awaken your heart before you get out of bed. And no matter what you feel, this is the, I would say, disposition of a disciple. We make so much of feelings in our world. We have to know that the truth trumps your feelings. God, it isn't just me following my own temperament. That's I want to follow truth. So I'm speaking truth to my temperament today. And this is going to be my disposition. I'm showing up today. Awake my soul. We got to show up and light up this world today. And I'm still in bed in the dark. This is what's called happening to life before it happens to you. The dawn doesn't wake you up. You wake it up. When you first wake, simply say, I'm yours, Lord. I will live to please you today. I will live to please you today. I like to put my hands out while I'm lying in my bed in a posture of surrender and as an act of submission to God saying, I want to do your will above my own. So this morning I wake up and I'm got sleepy seeds in my eyes and I'm groggy and I'm like, man, I got to get up and say something coherent in several hours. God, this sludge oil inside of me, can you warm me up? Can you light me up, God? I want to be on fire for you today so other people can watch me burn. But this isn't just for a pastor. This is for a Christ follower. And I just put my hands out like this. I'm at your disposal, God. Take my disposition. Take my personality. Take whatever I feel and bring it under subservient to you, Lord. Second, rehearse one verse. This is the sacrament of seeking. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, Psalm 63. Early I will seek you. Because you want the right mind frame and the right mindset. It's ready, set, go. You ready yourself with awakening. You get your mindset and then you go. A lot of us go and then we set and then we, you know, just kind of sit there like, why, why isn't this working very well? Because you went before you set and you weren't ready. And I, I, I want to break this down kind of to the lowest common denominator. I, I say rehearse one verse because I think there's a lot of you in here. You've tried to read the Bible in such large chunks and you can't remember and it's so overwhelming. And so in, if you can't do everything, you end up doing nothing instead of something. If we could get everybody in this place just reading one verse, rehearsing one verse every morning, it would just transform our church. What you seek is what you'll find. I found that downloading the YouVersion app is simple and helpful. It has a verse for the day to wake to each morning before you check your email and your socials or your news feed. Read the verse, meditate on it for five to 10 minutes first. And if you have more than just a moment, journal what God's saying to you. And then write the verse on a three by five card, stick it in your pocket, meditate on it throughout the day, put it in your car, on your dash. Just say, God, that's the one. I want to rehearse that verse throughout the day. Tune my heart to sing your praise. Tune my heart to sing your praise. This is just an easy app to download. And, and on it, there's so many resources. You could say, man, I want to be a better leader. Just type in leader has devotionals for leadership. I have worry that's just sabotaging my life. Type in worry. 
It'll type in teenager. If you're a teenager, type in peer pressure. You type in anything. It will provide a Bible study for you. It'll help you read through the Bible in a year if you want to read through the Bible in a year. It will come into whatever you're facing and custom fit your discipleship journey where you're at. Third, pray each day. I mean, you can't, can't get word and prayer out of just being the beginning. But this prayer is so powerful, the sacrament of praying, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Praying is talking to God and then listening for his still small voice to speak back into your soul. I I struggled to pray in my mind. I don't know about you, so I pray out loud in the car on the way to and from work. I write out prayers to not lose concentration. However you do it, take time to connect and talk to God each day. I would say I I talk to God a lot and I don't always hear from God, even in the stillness, but I'm always silent enough like, God, if you want to say something, uh, just speak and, and put an impression or an inkling into my mind. But I have to speak out loud. I have to write it out or I I just lose concentration. If I pray in my mind, it's like, Lord, I thank you today. I really want you to be with my dad today. And before I know it, it's like, God, just help the Care Bears as they're fighting the Teletubbies and and all of the, you know, the the Beanie Babies smoking cigars floating by. It's just weird. Like, it will be like, where was I? And you're like, God, I'm sorry for that, that flight of fancy. I don't know what happened. That's what happens to me. I remember... And I think pastors have done a really bad job at this because we can get up and we can pray in all this pomp and circumstance and all these big words like hypostatic union and incarnation. You're like, I don't know what the heck all that stuff is. I don't know how to pray. I can't pray. And it's gotta be really grammatically correct. God doesn't care about grammar. He cares about your heart. He wants to hear his child talk to him, not like someone else, but like your voice. And he doesn't want the big words. In fact, he said the Pharisees preach in all these big words and they pray in all these big words because they want to be heard and they want to be impressive. God's not impressed. He wants your voice. Remember the first time I heard a pastor pray, not with that auctioneer voice or that operatic prayer voice, but he spoke and he said, God, how are you doing today? What are you thinking about today? What do you want to do today, God? I want to do what you're doing. Are you okay today, God? What's your heart breaking for? What's your heart want to breathe into my life? It was like, I remember being at that camp and being like, is he praying? And he was praying. He just sounded a lot like himself. You got to be careful when you're praying, you're actually talking to a real person who's really listening to you. Ever hear people pray like, Father God, we pray, Father God, you do this, Father God, and Father God, appear to you, Father God. It's just like, what in the world? If I said to Kurt, Kurt, hey, Kurt, how you doing, Kurt? How was your day, Kurt? Kurt, Kurt, you'd be like, I know, I'm Kurt. I got it, I got it. What are you doing? See, we learn this jibber jabber and gibberish, and it's like, it keeps us from just coming to the throne of grace with confidence and boldness in our time of need to just say, God, here's my heart. Just moan, groan before him. God, help me. God, I'm, I'm an idiot. Why did I do that? Help me to go apologize to my wife. And he'll whisper, yes, go do that. <laughs> Fourth, help the hurting. This is the sacrament of serving. The king will reply, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did unto me. This is Jesus talking. What you do for them is like doing it to me. 
The people of God are marked with a passion for compassion. They look for the lost, the last, and the least, and they care for the poor and disenfranchised. And we've got to let our heart break for what breaks God's and then respond with love and care in our city, in this world, in our neighborhood. This is the church at her finest. I'll never forget a day we came home from vacation in our big old 15 passenger family van, Chevy, and we came in and a woman that we would all go, always go pick up uh, for, for church, it was a prostitute in our area. Her name was Gloria. And we came home and Gloria was out there with another man and they had bushel baskets filled with all our vegetables from our garden. We do all this for her. She's stealing all of our garden vegetables. And she had like three of them and we caught her just right in the act with all these things. And she came, she's like, oh, how are you doing? It's like, well, we're coming back from vacation. What are you doing? And you know what my dad did? I mean, we were breathing fire in the car. As kids, we didn't have the heart for them that my mom and dad had. And my dad got out of the car, grabbed the bushel basket and helped her take her stolen stuff to put it into her car. I got out, I'm like, what are you doing? Justice! He's like, grace, grace, help the hurting. Give them a leg up. Let them abuse you and use you and still help them and let them know. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Never forget this. It's funny. This last week, I took my boys to go down to Reflections to get a fresh fade. And we went down there. And before we were going, uh, Caleb was making a, ba- a bag, a Valentine's bag. It's full of candy and cookies and all this stuff. I'm like, dude, you're not eating any more candy. How many of you said that this last week? Um, they're all hopped up on dope. You know, it's like they, no. He's like, no, this isn't for me. This is for the homeless person that's standing out down by the barbershop. Oh, sorry for yelling at you. Pray, continue, you know. <laughs> You're not going to like this one, but here we go. Highlight your health, the sacrament of self-care. John said this, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. I love that your soul is getting along well. What about your health? I care about your health. Your brain needs your body and your body needs your brain. Your psychology needs your physiology and vice versa. They rely on each other. When you take care of your body, it helps take care of you. The Bible says our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and how to treat it matters to God. Things like exercise and diet and sleep, even just learning how to breathe in good oxygen and drinking a lot of water and making sure you're eating like living food and not dead food are activities of a Christian that we should hold high regard believing we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It does no good to be kind to your mind if you're shoddy with your body. Let's just say that all together. It does no good to be kind to your mind if you're shoddy with your body. And Christians, I think in particular, sometimes they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Think all that matters is my heart. And God's like, no, no, your health matters to me, not just your heart. 
One of the best things I've done in my life the last three years is to take these things seriously. And I can't believe I'm weaning myself off of pills and medication because I wasn't actually provoking my body to release all the things it already has in there that God made it with to begin with. All the dopamine and epinephrine and all these things are released when I exercise and when I treat my body well. It starts to help with my mental illnesses. Next, think with thankfulness, the sacrament of gratitude. Rejoice always, pray continually, and everything give thanks. In everything, everything, everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. My mom would always say, Count your blessings, name them one by one, came from a song. And and this discipline of training your heart to see, seek, and speak the good in the presence of the bad is rare and priceless in this world. Our beings tend to bend toward negativity, so we must train them into a posture of positivity. I'd rather be grateful than great. Grateful people turn into great people. And, and just to look around and to breathe encouragement and tell people, that, you know, just start out a conversation this way. When you're looking at someone, just start out the sentence this way. You know what I love about you? And you know how few and far between those conversations are for people where somebody tells them something encouraging and speaks it into their soul, just injecting that vaccine of goodness right where it counts. Encouragement that you feel that's in your head that's never spoken, never happened. That encouragement has to make it out. You got to lob out with language into the person's heart. I'm thankful for you. Here's what I love about you. Here's what I love about life. Instead of just gravitating to the pessimism of what's not going well, we're bent in that direction. We were with our leadership team and we were sharing about, you know, this over here and and the criticism over here and the criticism over here. And then there's 80% of the people in here. And I said, you know, I can just tell there's a lot of people that are supportive. And our vice chair said to me, there is a ton of people out there that are silent supporters of what you're doing in this church. And I don't know why that did not feel very good to me. Why in the world are the loud ones, the negative ones and the silent ones are the positive ones? I want to let you know, I don't want any more silent support. I don't want you to be silently supportive of your wife. She already knows she's beautiful. No, she doesn't. You got to tell her. He already knows I'm so grateful for how hard he works for a family. No, he doesn't. You haven't said it for four years. And and a lot of people are hanging by a thread because we are silently encouraged by other people around us. Break the silence, folks. Be thankful and be thankful out loud and proud. As it relates to our church, find your fit, the sacrament of ministry. Each of you should use whatever gift or talent you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We've got a variety of people, a cornucopia of people, and you're all different, and it's awesome. Variety is the spice of life, but you got to take that variety and say, how can I inject that into this church? How can I serve in, in my variety in a way here that, that brings life to this body 
We're not meant to be consumers. We're meant to be contributors. Look for opportunities to serve in the church by volunteering in ministry because God has given you unique gifts that you can use to build up his body. When people complain that no one reached out to them when they weren't at church, I think to myself, you weren't missed when you went missing because you didn't make yourself missable. Become a fixture. When people leave and they've never made themselves known and never made themselves available to actually play an important role in other people's lives, I don't know why you're surprised that no one misses you when you're missing because you're not missable. Make yourself missable by making yourself known and available. I'm telling you, when Big Joe is here and when he's not here, you know Big Joe's not here at the door manning his station. So you got a man and one man your station. See what I did there with equality? <laughs> Next one, bring your tithe. The sacrament of supremacy is what? He's first. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. And it's not give to get. This is not give to get. This isn't like I give you 10%, God, and you need to give me 100% back and 10. This is not like, you know, investing in GameStop or Bitcoin. This is different. This is God, you're first in my life. A tithe literally means a tenth. To give God our first fruits is to give him the first tenth of our income. For me, I know exactly when my tithe is transferred from my bank account to the church and I stop on that morning, my phone buzzes and it tells me it's going to God and I declare to him, you are my first love. Our worship follows our wallets, not the other way around. Jesus said this, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. You look at your bank account, you see what you're spending your life on, your, your money on, a lot of times that'll tell you what you're bowing to at the throne and whoever's sitting on that throne and getting the first fruits of your energy, time, talents, money, treasures, all that stuff. That's who you're worshiping and what you're worshiping. There's ways to give. It's been amazing in this time where we haven't been able to be together and it's been all cockeyed and twisted and topsy-turvy and people have kind of gone. We used to be about 60-40 with 60% giving online. It's upwards to like 85% giving online right now. And that's always been good for me because when I'm on vacation, uh, Satan doesn't sleep while I'm gone. God's still moving around here when I'm gone. It's like, I want to give when I'm gone even. And I just think, God, I want to bring it to the storehouse. It's yours. God, I want to bless you so that you can bless me so that I can bless others. I have a thirst to put you first in my life. First to forgive, the sacrament of forgiveness. Be kind and compassionate to one another. He's talking about the church, forgiving each other, church, just as Christ in Christ, God forgave you. We will either live in bondage of bitterness or the freedom of forgiveness. We've talked about this a lot in the last five weeks. Every day there are moments where you just got to stop and forgive people who have hurt you in big and even small ways so it doesn't accumulate. This habit will bring more joy and life to your body and mind than any other discipline. Everything we want is on the other side of forgiveness. I just, I live with forgiveness now because people are just people. Humans are just the behavior in the world, the things they say, the things they do. My heart gravitates to, ah. And I have to be like, God, I got to give them over to God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 
Romans chapter 12. Vengeance that you're trying to repay, it'll eat you alive. So I don't care if it's a big thing or small thing, Lord, I give them over to you. I cast my cares on you because you care for me, 1 Peter 5, 7. It's yours. You carry it, God. I'm not gonna carry it anymore. Our church needs to ask for forgiveness from each other. Things that you did and you know, the, the climax of political fervor, you need to apologize for that. Things that you've done in the middle of, you know, hashtag Black Lives Matter, hashtag, you know, make America great again. We're more into hashtags than we are humans. And God's calling us to say, will you forgive me? And to forgive other people. Because unless we forgive, we're never going to unify. Division breaks God's heart. Next, got a couple more. Confess your sins. This is something I do throughout the day, but I particularly do this toward the end of the day. The sacrament of repentance. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is easy just to sin and move on, hoping the feeling goes away and God just overlooks it. This is kind of a modern thing that I think we believe. The moment by moment need to stay in communion with God depends on living a life of confession and repentance. Acknowledging sin and turning from it keeps us in right relationship with him. And here's how it works. Conviction leads to confession, leads to reconnection with God. It's not a huge long process where you have to go through penance and then prove over the course of days that you're really, really, really sorry. That's what you have to do with human beings, not with God. You come to him. When he convicts your heart, Lord, I confess this to you. I wanna reconnect and be in communion with you again, God. There will be no revival that we sang about without repentance. There never has been, there never will be. And then the last thing, worship before bed, the sacrament of closure. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Your song, sometimes just getting to the end of the day and saying, remember that verse that I was rehearsing throughout the day? Your song's still with me. That verse is still with me, God. And here's a prayer to the God of my life. You are the God of my life. I tried to live for you today. I gave all I had today. I failed. And when I failed, I apologized and I got back up. And I took this 24 hours and I'm never going to get again. And I gave it to you. You're my God. And before bed, I just, I want to just recognize your presence And I want to recognize all that you've done in my life. So many things happen in a day. So many thoughts, so many hurts, so many blessings. I like to recount the activities of my day and surrender every joy and sorrow to the savior of my life. I believe God can calm our hearts in order to grant us sweet sleep so that we can wake to his new mercies. Oh, look, we're back to waking with wonder. Fancy that. So you go to bed with closure And you say, God, grant me sleep so that I can wake tomorrow and say, wake my soul. We're going to wake to dawn today. And you do it all over again. It's not accidental. It's not happenstance. It's purposeful. Nobody that you look up to got that way just because, you know, through osmosis, they got that way because they pointed towards something. Ready, aim, fire. 
They didn't shoot and then put the target in the bullseye wherever their arrow happened to land. That's cheating. They aimed at something. They drew back and they shot for that thing. Day after day after day, year after year after year. What we just witnessed this morning is we honor people who are living lives of faithfulness and obscurity. That is something. I mean, God even talks toward that when he says, don't do things so that other people see it and you get rewarded with words. Do it in secret because your God who sees what you do in secret will reward you openly. It's like, God, I'm doing this for your reward. And then all of a sudden there's an openness to that reward as God takes everything you've aimed at and done in faithfulness year after year after year, all these disciplines, and all of a sudden openly people are like, what makes you different? Because if you're not different, you won't make a difference. Not in this world. You'll blend right into the scenery. These are things passed down to me. And today I pass them down to you. And I, I declare to you what Paul shouted like a coach to the Corinthians. Do you not know? Sounds like a coach here. Don't you know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize, one wins? Run in such a way, not any way, but such a way as to win the prize. Everybody who competes in the games trains with strict discipline. They do it for a crown that's perishable. We do it for a crown that lasts, it's imperishable. Therefore, I don't run aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air, just throwing haymakers at a straw man. No, I discipline my body. I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself am not disqualified. This is in the Bible. Like, if God wants to do it, he'll just do whatever he wants to do. No, he's going to do what he's going to do. And he's like, are you going to do what you need to do? We're co-laboring here on this planet to make something happen. Oh, God, I hope you change our city. He's like, I hope you change your city. God, I hope you'll take care of the orphans over in Africa. I hope you take care of the orphans in Africa. Most of the prayers you pray to God, you could answer with your life laid down before him. God, I want to run to win. Well, that we, I just want a participation trophy. No, no, God made us to go after that finish line and to want to competitively win so that he gets glory with our short life on this planet. God, I don't want to just throw haymakers at the air. I want to land punches. <laughs> I don't just want to run around running aimlessly, you know. Where am I going? I don't know. I just, at least I'm on the move, you know. Don't be on the move. You know what you're moving toward. Our church has to grow into disciples or we'll just be like casual Christians and, and, and people that are just consumers and attenders. That's not what God's after. He doesn't want you to come and listen to me talk. He wants you to practice in between coming to church and hitting the tuning fork. I, there was this song I heard a few years ago at, at one of the soccer games. It was before the game, kind of like warm us before the game. And there was this one chorus that I was like, where is that? What was that? That was so good. That's discipline. That's like, get ready for this game. We got to get ready. Leave it all in the field. And, and so I found this. I asked Nate to find this and he found the chorus. And so as we end today, I just want you to hear this chorus of this song. And we're going to get lit in this place here today um, before we go, up, go out and light the world. Check this out. Actually, why don't you, why don't you stand up? And, uh, but we're going to go out on this note. You ready for this? Okay, here we go. 
Anybody know this already? Yeah, yeah. You ready? Oh yeah, we are. Let's go. Everybody do this. Come on, everybody. I'm not talking one, two, three, everybody. We're all gonna look stupid together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check this out. Oh, power of will. Remember his name. That's it, folks, right there. That's it right there. Are you ready? God, we give our lives to you. And it isn't so they remember our name. It's so they remember your name. And what we get done just out there just talking to people and living out your gospel, the good news, that they would be like, man, I just, I just feel like I interacted with Christ. All for your name and your glory, God. But help us to work hard, to run hard, to exercise, to work out. We need more guts. We need more grit. We need more grind. We need more hustle, God. Strengthen us. We're weak-willed. We're feeble people. We just need more of your energy to work so powerfully inside of us. As it says in Colossians 1.29. So give us that energy this week to pursue these disciplines in order to be true disciples of our rabbi, Jesus. And we pray this, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's go do this, folks. Let's do this.